0: This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast.
1: But a lot of people that, you know, try to use real estate to get out of debt, end up failing. If you're you're going to use debt to get out of debt, uh, there's already like a problem with just saying that out loud.
0: You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale
1: their real estate business.
0: What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, AKA Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber, real estate, and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over a hundred investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit MartellTurnkey.com. And click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's going on guys? Today we have an awesome episode with Richard Carey. Richard is a different type of investor. He is a pay off your property type investor. He has 20 properties that are paid off. He purchased 16 of them overseas while he was in the military And he's got an amazing story around how he helps or his property managers helped him do all the rehabs from distance and how he helped set that up and how he formatted it. He invests primarily in Montgomery, Alabama, but he is looking to invest in Indiana um, a little bit further from home because he does live in Alabama himself, but um, got just a great story of how he was able to build this empire while he was in the military, making a very, Um, I would say average or slightly above average salary or income and just scaling a portfolio, paying off properties and being able to retire at a moderately young age very comfortably. So for those that are curious what strategies there are, should I pay my property off or should I put as a little down? This is just a really good perspective of how to build a very safe, stable portfolio over a period of years and then be able to retire very comfortably without having to depend on or retirement account or 401k or Roth, anything like that. He has properties that are paying him every month. And like I said, 20 paid off properties while he was in the military. So it's just an awesome story. The main learning I had from this show was how to have your property managers oversee your property renovations. So he was buying property from a different country. He was deployed. And within that, then his property managers were overseeing work that was being done. He was doing rehabs on these jobs and he was having property managers basically oversee all that and update him as it was happening. And he goes through his whole process of that, how he was doing it or what made him feel comfortable with that. And then kind of at the end, just explain specifics of how he was paying them, how he's managing them and all those sorts of things. So really interesting stuff. Today's tangible tip. If you guys are like me, Sometimes you don't have time to send full messages. So you just got to come back with an emoji. So some keyboard shortcuts. If you have a Windows computer, if you hit Windows period, it will bring up the emojis and you can pick them from there. And if you have a Mac, it's control command space and you can pick your emojis from there. Small one, kind of a weird one guys, but you know, every little extra second might count. And sometimes we're just kind of tied up. And if you can't double tap the message to send the, little emoji through, this is a little better way to do it. So anyway, that's today's tangible tip. Really great episode today with Richard Carey. Enjoy. All right, Richard, what is going on, man? Welcome to the
1: podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about this. Uh, ready to, to to talk some real estate today.
0: Yeah. You have done something that most people aspire to do and might be very curious. how. You did, but you've paid off a lot of properties and not a small amount of properties either, we'll get into the numbers. And you've also purchased a lot of properties, not just from out of state, but out of country, uh, which is just an interesting concept in itself. And um, we're gonna get into all that. So Richard, if you wouldn't mind, just for the people that haven't checked you out yet or checked out your blog, could you give our listeners a quick background from a high level of how you got into real estate investing and then also from a high level what you do in real estate today, uh, to what capacity?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my story is, you know, I was in the military, right? I was in the Air Force. And uh, saying I was in the Air Force is very recent for me because I just retired uh, August of 2020. So, I did 20 years in the Air Force. And the whole time I was in the Air Force, I was very interested in real estate. Like, I wanted to find a way to invest in real estate and make it work. And and really, for me, a big part of that was wanting to have a backup. Uh, let's say that I didn't get a military retirement, or for some reason, I decided to leave the military before 20 years, I was just kind of hoping that there'd be something there for me, where if I uh, didn't want to work again, but didn't, end up, but didn't end up with a retirement, I'd have something. So I always had that in mind, like I've got to invest well, I've, I've got to do real estate. And so throughout my entire time in the military, I tried a bunch of different things, and kept trying things with flips and buying homes in expensive areas. And, uh, I did some stuff with new construction and eventually ended up on the formula that worked for me, which is just having, uh, buy and hold rentals at a certain price point, uh, which I just kind of say like C-class properties, you know, like in a small town in, in Alabama, I say small town, but it's Montgomery, Alabama. And that, which is the capital. And that's what ended up working for me. But, but I had to try and learn a lot of things to get to the point where I figured this all out. I did this from a very, compared to most real estate investors, I did it from a, um, I would say frugal kind of, you know, let's let's save our money. Let's let's try to pay cash for some of these properties. I actually paid off my mortgage on my uh, primary residence quickly. I did it in seven years uh, early in my career. And my approach and real estate story, I guess, real estate investing story is different than most uh, people you hear on podcasts, but ended up in a pretty good place. Um, I've now retired. Uh, When I was in the military, I was overseas most of the time. So I did a lot of this buying from overseas and I used a management company to help me take care of things while I was gone. Now that I'm retired and I'm in the city where all my real estate is, Uh, I took over management of my 20 properties, which I guess we'll get to numbers later. And then I bought 10 more recently, 10 more doors. And I I bought those with, uh, you know, by using uh, loans. And I'm just uh, focused on scaling now. I'm focused on buying more real estate. And uh, for me, this real estate thing now is my, you could say full-time career. Uh, At the moment, I wouldn't call it full-time, but I suppose if I buy a big enough project that it could become full-time. So that's kind of me in a, in a nutshell. Hopefully that's a good introduction.
0: Great introduction. So yeah, just digging into it a little bit more, um, the, the actual number of units, I mean, what we were talking about and what I saw just on your kind of um like investment background was 20 paid off properties and 16 of them were bought while you were overseas. So could you maybe just take us back to the first deal? And then if we could go through kind of how it scaled and, you know, the main boxes on each deal, how you were finding these deals, Mm -hmm. how you were funding these deals, how you're managing these deals, that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. Like obviously there's a lot to that. Uh, (laughs) The first thing that I would talk about is I bought my primary residence. Now, when you're, in the, when you're in the military, you're not gonna have a primary residence for long because you move every one to three years. But I bought a primary residence in Alexandria, Virginia, which is essentially Washington, DC. In 2003, I bought a townhouse for $280,000. Thought it would be the worst mistake of my life because I thought that was a lot of money back then. <laughs> um, about a year later, it was worth more than 400,000. And I was like, wow, okay, like this, this real estate stuff is crazy. Well, of course I ended up renting out that property. Again, I, I told you about my, my philosophy is a little bit different than most uh, investors I know, but I, I sort of had this idea of like, well, let's see if we can pay this, pay this mortgage off fast. And me and my wife paid it off in seven years. During that time, we also flipped properties while we were overseas with a partner. Uh, and that's a way that I made some extra money. I also kind of took a lot of my, uh, anything that I could save, I would invest. And I just kind of invested in straight index funds and so I, I did that for a decent amount of time. I basically, from 2000 until about 2013, when I started using that money to buy real estate. Um, that takes us to eventually when I end up in Mon- eventually when I end up in Montgomery, Alabama, in 2013. At that point, I have a paid off single family home in Alexandria, Virginia, which uh, doesn't actually cash flow that well, but has had a decent amount of appreciation. Uh, and that's something that. That I wanna talk about later about uh, the whole, you know, buying, if you buy in a high cost of living area, you know, how it ends up working out financially for people most of the time. But um, got to Montgomery, Alabama, and met another military investor while I was here. And he explained to me that he had been buying properties uh, for the past year or so. And he picked up like, I think he said he picked up four or five and he was like making a ton of money on them. And I was kind of shocked. I actually didn't expect to do real estate in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and I was like, wow, like tell me the numbers and like, how, how do you ma- manage these? And what are you gonna do when you leave? And you know, how do you get them and what neighborhoods? And I just like peppered him with questions and he had all the answers for me. And I basically said, will you show me? Like, I'm just gonna do what you're doing. Like, Will you show me how to do this? And he's like, sure. And so I pretty much did what he did and uh, bought six properties in the 10 months that I was here in Montgomery, Alabama. During that time, I uh, set things up so that once I was gone, I could keep buying. I went to Germany for three years and then Korea for two years. And then I, and then I um, retired a year after that. So that's kind of the large picture. Uh, if you want, I can jump in to the first property you bought, or I don't know if you have a follow up question. After yeah, no, that.
0: That, that would be great. That was going to be my follow up of just, you know, zero to one, I feel like is so important for people.
1: Yeah. So, again, of course, I, ha- I had done a couple of things, right? I had bought a single, I bought a townhouse in 2003 and it turned into a rental when I left and then I paid it off. So, cash flows better, you know, uh, obviously, since it's paid off. I flipped houses with partners with a partner. And I'd done about eight houses and again, this is over like my, you know, my 20 year career, but this is probably between 2008 and 2012. Um, but I get to Montgomery, Alabama, and I realize I'm going to make a lot more money here like I'm a lot more cash flow, if I invest here instead of like what I was trying to do in DC and trying to do in other places. I also tried to invest in in California and I just could see that the numbers weren't going to work. So. I bought a property here, and it was twenty. It was a thirty thousand dollar property. Now, why do I pay cash for my properties? Well, because to me, thirty thousand dollars was half the price of a down payment. Uh, in, you know, if you're in Washington D.C., and since I flipped houses in Washington D.C., I always kept the cash around. You know, for these down payments, I was always putting twenty percent down and financing these flips that I was doing. It's actually traditionally financing them. And so in my mind, it's like, it's absurd to finance $30,000. I'll just pay cash. Um, I had to put 15,000 into it. I didn't know what I was doing. I made tons of mistakes. I think I spent like $3,000 on just getting the hardwood floors from like cat stained piss to, you know, looking like the governor's mansion, which is probably overkill. Um, I had some like, I had copper stolen out of the property while it was vacant. I had uh, a tree root growing up, a tree root growing up through the floor that I didn't know about until after I purchased. So it was like a nightmare for me. And okay, but I mean, all in, I'm 45,000. I'm running out for 700 a month. That's good. I mean, that was good even back then. But of course, like anybody would take that deal right now. But my, but I was like, <laughs> I was traumatized from all the problems I have with this property. And my, and I had so much inexperience when it came to real estate. My wife said to me, like, well, I guess we're not going to do that anymore. Like that was scary. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I want to buy two more properties right now because I I had enough cash to buy two more properties. I'm like, I want to buy two more right now.
0: Mm -hmm. And so
1: I just kept making offers and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm offering on short sales, offering on foreclosures, stuff off the MLS, lots of stuff that, you know, needs some work, some stuff is moving ready. This is 2013, there was a lot better prices and better inventory back then because people were still uncertain about things, especially in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, And then the next two properties got accepted on the same day. Like, so I got to number two and number three on the same day. They both like, and everything that I bought in cash, I closed in 10 days. And that's something that, um, that's something that sellers liked a lot. You know, and I can talk, talk strategies, strategies a little bit more, but a lot of the times I was buying properties that had already went under contract. And then somebody had fallen, you know, through because they couldn't figure out financing. And then I would like swoop in and be like, you don't want that to happen again do you i'll close in cash in 10 days and that was very attractive to people and i and sometimes i'd even offer less money than i'd previously offered but it's like hey you know obviously this didn't work out and you need the money uh 10 days you know and so that's number two and number three and i just sort of continued that i got up to six properties while they're in person and that was my time to learn time to understand the areas, time to find contractors and time to find a good management company and figure out if I trusted them or not. Then when I moved away, I kept buying from afar. So I'll, I'll let you kind of jump in and see where you want to steer things now. So, wh-
0: yeah, I mean, I'd say that the two parts that I think beginners are stuck on that you covered, but I'm curious if you would do anything differently or what advice, your, what your advice you, you would have for a beginner would be is, finding the deal and finding the money or the financing. So, yeah. you know, for a beginner, that's like, let's say starting out and they don't necessarily know the direction yet. They're hungry. Let's say they're 21, 22, they're out of college. Maybe they're working in a job that now during COVID, they have a lot of time and they're they're just wondering what's the best strategy for me to get started. What is yeah. what is my the best path to do a first deal to get me on this path you know, to, to set me up. I don't want to make a huge mistake. You know, I have never done this before, but I at least want to get on my path and I don't need a home run. A base hit would be great, but there's just so many options I could do. I could do single family homes. I could do multifamily. I could do short-term rentals. You know, I could, I could buy Bitcoin. Who knows what I could do.
1: So, you you know, I mean, a lot of people are talking about multifamily and then they talk about like syndication or being a limited partner. Yes, I don't have any money. So let me like partner up with a buddy that I meet in a Facebook group. I can definitely speak to this uh, because I definitely have a philosophy about this and it's going Mm. to be different than what you hear from a lot of other uh, real estate investors that are on podcasts. Um, Your first deal. Now, I'm not at all advocating that everybody try to buy houses in all cash. Uh, It's not realistic. And to be quite honest, financially, it's not even that smart. Like, you know, you're going to do better with leverage in the long run, like, I re- I've done the math, <laughs> I've done lots of spreadsheets and figured it out and tried to figure out if my you know, plan of paying them all off is gonna make me more money somehow. There's not very many situations where you're better off doing it in cash. Uh, but I will say this, for a beginner, the, the advice that I wanna give to beginners is don't be in too much of a rush, like don't be so eager Everyone around you is like buying multifamily and you're seeing all these other people, maybe people you know, maybe people in Facebook groups, just closed, I just closed, I'm cash flowing this amount a month, like it's going so well and I'm buying my second, I'm buying my third, I'm burying the property. Um, I think a lot of times, some of the people that you see doing these deals, they're not cash flowing as well as you think they are and they might not end up doing as well as, you, as they think they're doing. Uh, I think it's good to take it slow I like to make sure that you're not really in any debt anymore. I like to get out of consumer debt. I like to invest in real estate from a position, uh, financial position of strength. And that might seem kind of lame and you might not want to wait that long. Uh, but a lot of people that you know, try to use real estate to get out of debt end up failing. If you're, if you're gonna use debt to get out of debt, uh, there's already like a problem with just saying that out loud. So I think what I'd say to people is the way that I like to invest in real estate or, or talk have talk a beginner through it is figure out a way that you can buy your first property with a traditional loan with 20% down. Now, you sh- you sh- probably shouldn't buy a house for six or seven hundred thousand dollars because those houses just don't cash flow well and they just don't make good investments. It's going to be something between like a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars. So you can do the math and figure out how much of a down payment you'll need, but you need to save up that down payment. And, and I think this idea of like, but I can use other people's money, but I can like, you know, use credit cards, but I can, um, I can do seller financing. There's all these podcasts and courses and books about like, you can buy now, you don't need money. You know, it doesn't matter if you have bad credit. I think all that's kind of a bad idea. Everything, all, all that stuff is true, right? You can, you can do that, but those are advanced strategies that I think work well, for people that are maybe like in my position and they're like, okay, I've got like 30 properties, but I really want to buy this, you know, 30plex and it's going to be kind of difficult. So maybe I should get creative. And, and why do I say that? It's because I have the experience where the chances that this will get screwed up and I'll end up in trouble with my money or my investors money or my grandma's IRA money is like a lot lower. Uh, I think that when you're getting started, you want to find that 20% down. Uh, the other thing i'll say is it, you've got to s- somehow find an off-market deal these days you're going to send out letters you're, you know that, that, i think that's a big one sending out letters uh driving for dollars just going you know just looking stuff up on the mls and then making offers and buying a property these days you're just not going to cash flow it's just not going to happen so you have to find your own way to find off-market deals and 20% down, traditional financing, do one property, get going on it, like own it for a year and you know, see if things are working out. Make sure the market's not going down on you. It's staying steady or it's going up. Make sure that this isn't like a huge mess for you. And then it's like, okay, like this is going well. I'm going to save up another 20% down. I'm going to buy another property. Now that's kind of my, I don't know if you'd call that ultra conservative, but I think that's the smartest way to get started. Mm-hmm. And I would caution against Googling every no money down strategy you can just cause you're eager to get your foot in the door. Mm. And there's my spiel.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think a co- it's funny. It, it just all comes down to goals, right? Like some people, they, they know their goals and some people don't. And then from there they can align a strategy. I think the problem or the, the finding most people run into is they set a goal before they have education And then they realize that that's not the goal that aligns with maybe where they want to be someday. yeah. Or they don't, it's not aligned with their short-term goal or their long. like there's a mismatch. And I think that's where people either realize they need to pivot or they need to do a little bit more thinking on the front end to figure out, okay, do I want to, at what age do I want to have this by? And then from there, the strategies develop, you know, so if you want it by a certain age, you can pay off a certain number of properties or take certain type of loans. It'll get you there by that time. And with some people that have more aggressive goals, you know, they hate their job or they just want to do this full time. I think we're talking about, you know, two different things in that category. So it's very interesting. And having paid off property, you know, it's almost the same way that I think about it with like a 1031 exchange. Everyone, you know, puts it down that if people have to pay taxes on profit, But at the same time, it's no reason to rush into a bad deal to do a 1031 exchange. The same thing I think about with equity in a home, everyone's saying you need to tap that equity and pull it out. But at the same time, it's very safe. It's very stable. Your cash flow is much higher. And if you're happy with it, don't listen to anyone else. Like whatever makes you happy or kind of aligns with your purpose. So that's, I guess, the moral of the story that I think about. And then there's so many ways to cut it from there. As far as some questions for the types of deals that you were doing, were finding at that time, can you talk about like the business model you were doing? Were you buying these as turnkey properties? Were these burr properties? What what investment criteria did you have at the time or what investment criteria do you, do you like? So I guess really just business model um, investment criteria, the two main questions.
1: Yeah. So obviously I started off with this like $30,000 property, $30,000 property that's all in 45,000 that I rent out for 700. And then the next five properties that I buy are all roughly similar in price to rent ratio. Right. So, and, you know, then the second house was $45,000 move in ready, but renting for like seven fifty a month. Now that's amazing. Every, everybody's like, I want, you know, I'll, every, anybody would buy that right now. And so would I, I would finance a, a hundred of them. Today. Right. It's like, they're but I, didn't catch. I didn't know I didn't know that back then. In fact, right. my wife said we should have bought 20 houses. And I'm like, no, I think six is fine. <laughs> but, um, uh, so that was kind of my okay. I this seems like it's going to cash flow well, but you have to. It's easy to look back and be like, well, of course it's going to cash flow well. That's amazing, but when it's actually happening to you, when you're actually there, and you're coming out of the 2008 recession and all that, in my mind, I was thinking, what if these people in Montgomery, Alabama, are just like trash my house? And, and what if like there's like a military base here? What if the military base shuts down? You know? What if I have all these what ifs? Like. I, I just had this doubt that it was gonna work. Like it seems like so much money, but it's just it's just probably not gonna pan out for me. So that's why I bought six instead of you know 20 or 30, right? Because it, it looks so good on paper, but I'm ultra conservative. Mm. And so I'm like, well, I'm gonna buy these six and move away and, and see how things go. Well, it was clear that once I left, like they, they all did great. And I'm just like, well, I guess I should just keep buying. As far as my how my model was set up, and, and this is this was very key to. To my success, I had a management company that I felt like had my best interests at heart. That I had like direct communication with the owners. They, they weren't like super big. They had about 350 properties. About 250 of those properties were theirs, and then like a hundred were people like me that they were just investors. I noticed from working with them on my six properties, I, I had a property manager when I was there locally because I wanted to test drive them because I knew I was leaving the area. Um, I knew that they, you know, that they were keeping my expenses low and finding good people. And I just, they were trustworthy and they weren't like shady. And I bring this all up because I had already fired property managers in the past from my property in Alexandria, Virginia. So this isn't like all brand new to me. Uh, there are bad property managers out there. So um uh, but the trick was I wanted to keep buying properties from overseas, but I had nobody to manage the rehabs and you make more money and you, you know, you create more value when you buy a property that has issues. And then you, you know, you, you go in and do all the work and, and bring it up to rent ready. And that's even more true today, <laughs> much more true today. Um, so I worked out a deal with my property manager. Like if you guys will manage these rehabs for me when I'm gone, I'm going to buy them in bad shape and you've got to actually manage the rehab and i'm just going to pay you a 10 you know over cost thing for your trouble and you get it ready and then and then you're managing it for me and then long term it'll be yours and i told him i said i've got six properties i plan up i'm planning 30 which obviously i ended up being true to my word and did that they didn't like the idea because it seemed like a lot of extra work for them but I did, we we said, let's try it once. And we did it on number seven and it went smooth. And then I basically did it like every month or two months Mm. until I had 20 properties. Um, By the way, I paid more for every single property. Every single property was just like, you know, I think just because I think maybe I'm like, wasn't the only person in the world that was realizing that this was a great market for cash flow. Eventually I think I, you know, from paying like 45 all said and done, I'm paying like you know sixty five all said and done, and then renting it out for like eight eight hundred or so. Not like a massive home run, but if you've got lots of those and, and certainly if they're paid off it, it's it's good cash flow. So that's kind of that was my model, and the property manager was a key part of uh, making that happen.
0: Can you, okay, before I get into like more of that, did you say how you were finding these deals specifically? like, Okay. The lead yeah. source, but then also like mm-hmm. the, the, were you targeting specific neighborhoods? That's a question we get a lot. People yes. are not sure how to pick a neighborhood or they know a city, they see a city, but then they just see a random map and it's like, well, do I want to, which part of town do I want to be in? Oh, you it. found cash flow markets that seem to be safe and mm-hmm. um, still produce. So could you just talk about that a little bit before
1: we get a little bit down yeah. the path of the model? Interesting. Quick side note: I'm good. I'm going to Indianapolis this weekend, and I'm actually going on a, I'm going on a, you know, an investing trip. It's my own investing trip. I'm bringing a couple of people I know with me. I'm just going to figure out. I'm going to like hit the ground and like talk with all the right people and check on the neighborhoods that I've already, you know, researched. And I'm basically trying to see if I could duplicate something like this in another city. And I've decided that maybe you know Indianapolis might be a good candidate for like, you know, many reasons. Um. Now to come back to Montgomery, Alabama, I just kind of piggybacked off what my friend was already doing. Uh, he was in certain neighborhoods and I think that had a lot to do with the property management company. The property management company did most of their business in certain neighborhoods and I used the property management company as advice. I leaned on them very heavily for advice as far as you know. I, I wanna buy the right properties that are easy to rent out, that just stay rented out more often that I'm not going to have too, many, too much crime problems, I'm not going to have like, you know, tenant problems, I'm not going to have, um, you know, just your advice on where I should do this. And so I was kind of steered to certain neighborhoods. And where the crime is kind of like, it's not, you know, they don't have like the greatest schools, but it's still a safe place. And, you know, it's just kind of a blue collar working neighborhood um, now if you can, you can go like a half mile or a mile away and then the houses are like a lot worse and there's like more problems, but this, this neighborhood, and it's in, in my case, it was kind of like almost a zip code or most of a zip code. You should focus here. I also focused on, I only did three bedroom, two bath and up, so I didn't do any two baths I didn't do any three bedroom, one bath. And that's mm-hmm. just because three bedroom, two baths are so much more desirable for rentals. That, that matters in this market. Um, not only do I get more money, but if things are tight. People are going to take a three, two before they take a three, one. Like if there's a lot of inventory out there, Mm -hmm. everybody wants a three, two, they want to have an extra bathroom for, you know, having a different family member or a roommate or something. So that's just one of the strategies that I, the strategies that I used, but I kind of used what my friend had already been doing and the management company's advice. In fact, a lot of times I would go to buy a property, even when I had it under contract from overseas, if I had my management company, company come look at it and they could say something like, this street is actually very bad. We have problems, or this is a horrible floor plan. Like people, people hate it when, you know, the bedrooms is small. I'd use that as advice and I'd back, I'd back out of contracts sometimes, sometimes at the expense of, of my, um, you know, of my earnest money. So uh, you need to have, it's very important uh, to understand a neighborhood in a city. And that's really where a lot of, uh, longer, long distance real estate investors fail. You've got to link up with brokers that know what they are doing and, and are going to tell you the truth. You've got to link up with other investors. And I was part of the M- Montgomery real estate investors association here, and I still am. And we all talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even, I've even bought properties from other investors here. Um, they brought me good deals and, um, you know, you just, you've got to understand it's, it's tricky. It, in, in the neighborhoods that I'm in, there are bad streets and good streets. There are bad sides of the street. And there are times where when you cross, you know, a, a somewhat major road, you, you go from great area to horrible area. So if you know, you're not going to get that when you just call a random real estate agent in Austin and tell them that you want to buy a property because you're an investor um, and you're probably gonna get steered in the wrong direction. And then and then if, if you want, I'll give my opinion on you know turnkey properties, but a lot of times these turnkey property companies uh, aren't great and take advantage of people on top of the fact that they usually end up not being very good investments.
0: Mm. So, wow. Okay, I do wanna talk about turnkey just based on that. But before we do, I just would love to hear, like when you're in Indy this weekend, and it's funny because when COVID hit, um I wanted to do that to the highest degree. I I literally just left New York and I just moved to a couple of markets I was interested in. Yeah. And just to drive the roads every day and talk to the people and walk and see how things were at night. Um so when you're on this trip, are there any specifics like if someone's listening right now and they're just trying to understand how do I identify the neighborhoods in this market? I'm willing to go, I'll drive around, I'll talk to people. But like, is there anything specific you're going to be looking for tactical or maybe something you could advise someone? Like, if you see that, that's positive. If you see this, it's a
1: huge red flag. I'd say a lot of the things that you're talking about are, are issues that I want to have a very good idea of You know, before I go there. Before I show up, I already want an idea of what neighborhoods might be good and what might be bad. And so I'll give some advice. I'll talk about what I've been doing for the past two weeks. Perfect. Um, spoke with, again, I think you know, I started by, uh, you know, probably th- through bigger pockets and through just being an investor and, and, and being sort of in the, you know, I guess, blogging and real estate world. I know people in that city, I know people in, in, in there, but also what you could do is you could talk to the Real Estate Investors Association there and they usually have a Facebook group, most do can also go on bigger pockets and go to the bigger pockets form for that from that city and start figuring out who could, who would help you out if you wanted to look into that area but I spoke to three or four investors in the city and three or four brokers in the city and a few of them were were nice enough to give me their take on hey here's like the good and bad neighborhoods in this city and here's the ones that I focus on and here's why like here's kind of Where I see the path of progress in this city and uh, I kind of like the price point here and I like what they're doing with this these projects well I got that from several different people and especially if you hear the same thing from two or three different people that might be an area to focus on Uh, and then I've got you know I've got usually one of the an agent or a broker is going to set you up on one of these feeds where you're going to get like MLS stuff that pops up when it comes on the market and you can decide what areas you want it in and you can decide what price point you want it and how old the property should be. And so I'm getting this feed for a couple of weeks and I've been looking at houses online and like, you know, walking around the streets with Google maps and looking at the neighborhoods. And in some cases, like someone would give me a deal and be like, "Well, this, this looks like a great multifamily. I look around on Google maps and realize that the entire street is abandoned multi-families. And now you got to understand too, that's 2019. That's, that's when the the pictures were taken. So I I kind of told him, I said, it looked pretty bad on Google maps, but like, I'm interested in checking out if if things are like any better in that area and maybe we'll go look at that house. Uh Um, But that's kind of what I would do first. You've got to do that homework. And I've been doing homework with property management companies too. And then you're going to get an idea real fast. Like, well, this broker, he's super responsive. This particular broker, he's been flaky and he hasn't been calling me back or answering my emails. Talk to a couple property management companies. And then when I show up, uh, I go see all the ones that I guess impress me the most. I go, I meet them all in person as well as having them take me around and show me things as well as look at things on my own as well as drive the neighborhoods that I'm, interested in at di- that I'm interested in at different parts of the day. And I think you were asking about this. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty important to go check it out on Friday night and Saturday night at uh, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And if you, you, know, if, if you just realize that you've got to leave because it's dangerous, then uh, I wouldn't invest there. Um, and you drive it in the daytime and you, know, you check what it's like on you know, Sunday afternoon. This will just give you a better idea. I think also just seeing the condition of other houses on the street. I mean, is I'm not a fan if there are just a lot of abandoned houses still that are in bad need of being fixed up. And that's like kind of prevalent in the neighborhood that you're thinking about investing in. You're taking a big chance that a bunch of other investors are going to show up and do gut rehabs on all these other properties on your street. Mm -hmm. I like to, I like things to be moving on a little bit better than that before I get into a neighborhood. Of course, everyone's going to have different goals and you you might be the one that wants to buy houses for 10,000, you know, hoping that uh, 10 years from now that ends up a historic district and that they've appreciated and gentrified. Uh, But you're taking a big chance by doing that. Uh, I, I tend to, I've been very careful with my money always, and I've moved slowly very slowly, and uh, that was painful for me. The first ten or 15, ten or twelve years, when I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere, but then all of a sudden, in one year, I, I I got really far. And then, like two years later, I had these twenty paid off properties, and all of a sudden, it just you know all made sense to me. Um, but. I guess that'd be my advice is do your homework ahead of time and then go out and check out those neighborhoods at different times of day. But you're not going to know what neighborhoods to go to unless you hear so from brokers and investors. Real
0: quick, do you have an investment criteria that you used to target or still currently target a way to rule uh, properties in or out?
1: Yeah. I mean, at such a sliding scale, I, I have investment criteria for Montgomery, Alabama, for mm-hmm. the neighborhoods that I've been buying in. And then recently, I made a, a small change where I bought a, I bought a B property in a historic district. And by and in doing that, I changed my standards to like accepting less cash flow for a property that's just a much in a much nicer area And just has, uh, I guess you could say, I guess maybe wealthier residents that stay in the house longer, and that it has less crime. Although not a lot less. Um, And it's just, I, you know, you can accept less cash flow in a case like that because I'm thinking long term. You know, maybe this is a good investment, uh, a stable asset. It's not going to cash flow like great this year for me, but maybe it cash flows well five years from now, or maybe I sell it in seven years for a large profit. So there is that, but um, by and large, I'm all about proving to myself that I'm going to get cash flow as soon as I buy this property, and uh, I want to make at least. If, if you're buying in cash, then you know then the cash on cash is the same as the the ROI. But like I want, um, I want like to beat the market. I want to do better than eight percent. I really won't take anything to, uh, less than a ten percent return on on what I'm making. Now, if you're buying with a mortgage, then I just want to make sure that you have to actually calculate your expenses. Like you've got, you know, you've got capital expenditures, and you've got uh, repairs, and you've got, you know, HOA, and you've got. There's like tons of stuff: taxes and and uh, insurance. Calculate all that. Make sure you're actually going to cash flow. And a lot of people with mortgages don't cash flow, but think they do. So actually, cash flow. Like yes, I'm making a five or five fifty dollars or a hundred or a hundred and fifty a month. Um, if I buy this property, you just got to have that criteria, uh, and it's going to be different in every area. Like I, I can't tell you what it should be in your city, uh, but you got to have pretty good cash flow. If you're like if you're in a you know buying a section eight, where with high turnover and lots of issues, you need to demand more cash flow. And if you're buying in a in a in a B area with less crime and good schools and people that like families that stay in properties for five or ten years, there's like a sliding scale there.
0: Yeah, I think it's. I mean, for for some people, they're looking for different things, but um, it seems like you're looking for a mix of stable properties that will also cash flow. So. I mean, it could, you know, depend, but I think that's a good rule of thumb, like a minimum to beat the market. At least you're going to get all these other benefits, the tax advantages and the, the equity pay down and all that. But, you know, still at minimum investment criteria, I think is really important. So that's, um, I think a really good point. Just the last question. Yeah. You kind of touched on it. I would just love to maybe hear a little bit more about how you actually set it up and what they were doing, but to have your property managers overseeing rehabs, while you were away. So can you just talk about how you like set that up with them and what the conversation was like, but then also like what they were specifically doing or updating you on a regular basis so that you were comfortable
1: with what was happening? Yeah. So that's gotta be the biggest piece. I think that's the biggest piece to doing long distance real estate. And, and, and what I mean by that is it isn't the property manager. It's who's gonna be your boots on the ground? Like, Who is gonna be the person that you trust that is in that city? You've gotta figure out who it is. Ideally, it would be you if it's the city you live in, but there are degrees of, if it's not you, then maybe it's like a trusted friend or maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a a trusted confidant or family member are good ones. Uh, They're not always good, but they can be good. Uh, And then if it's not going to be any any of those things, then you got to do what I did. You know, it's going to be a real estate agent or a contractor or a property manager. And at the end of the day, even with your friends and family, it's going to come down to like, how responsible are they? How trustworthy are they? How do they have your best interests at heart? Do they... You know, do they want you to succeed or do they want to bleed you for money? (laughs) Mm. And and that's what you've got to figure out. And that's what you've got to be able to fix if you get wrong. Well, I was able to sort of, again, test drive working with these people and me seeing them in person and, and going through different problems with them in person for 10 months while I lived there. They would call me up and they would talk to me about like, hey, this person's fridge broke and like we could get you a new one and replace it, but we could get you know a used one and probably last you know for you know a couple of years, but it only costs a hundred bucks. And kind of what I realized is they're going through all this, they're going through all this trouble to like save me money on these small expenses. I mean, I, I thought they were small, whatever. It's a five hundred dollar expense. I liked that attitude, the fact that they were doing that. And I kind of thought, okay, these are good people. These people are engaged and they're thinking about my costs and kind of, you know, they know I'll be upset if I'm, you know, spending a fortune. And so I'm like, okay, I trust these people. Let's see how this goes. So I asked them like, when I'm gone, I want to keep buying properties with you guys, but I need somebody I trust to do the big heavy lift of like managing the rehab. And another thing was, I knew that if I used my own contractors that I had to bid the job, they'd charge me a lot. I knew that this management company had people on retainer, or you know, people that worked for them that made like fifteen dollars an hour, and I and I paid them twenty-five an hour, but they made fifteen an hour. And that's just something that I figured out from from talking to these guys. Mm-hmm. So they you know they've got pretty cheap labor in my opinion to do a lot of this cheap labor that's supervised to do these uh, make readies or more like rehabs for me. But he was reluctant to do it because he needs those guys to do turns to do on his properties. And he's got a conflict of interest. Well, I've got my properties I need to turn, but I've also got to take care of Rich Carey's big job. So he wasn't sure he wanted to do it and I wasn't sure he would do it well, but we tried it. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I had some big ones, some stuff that needed lots and lots of work. I had some medium ones and I had stuff that was just kind of simple. And I just kind of, you know, I'd, I'd call him and be like, where's this set? How much time left? How long is it going to take? And if he was taking too long, I'd push him and he'd get it done. And if he knocked it out quick, then I would, you know, thank him and tell him that was great and it was wonderful. And I've got another one coming, but you got to stay involved. Like if you're going to be hands off, then you're going to be in big trouble. I mean, I stayed involved and I kept the communication open with him by no means was this smooth at all. It might, I don't know if it sounds smooth (laughs) to people, but by no means was this smooth at all. I mean, it sounds like it was just a walk in the park. Yeah. It's not, you're not always, I'd like to say I was fine tuning things, but I wasn't always fine tuning things. I was kind of like, Hey, like I haven't heard anything from you in three weeks. Like, is anything getting done? And be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like we got a lot going on. And I I forgot that that was just sitting there. Like, no, no, no. I'm going to put like three guys on it today. Um, And it was like bad at first. And I thought about firing him and then, you know, but like he came around and he made a renewed effort, you know, and then he'd slack again. And then like, I was super involved, but basically this might sound a little strange, but I trained him, right. I mean, I kind of trained him to, to end up, uh, working the way that I needed him to work for me. And at the same time though, that just gives him more properties to manage and makes him more money as well. And by the way, I never charged, I never asked to be charged less than 10% for, for management. Uh, mm. I, I know that I probably could have asked for eight or seven percent because I've got 15 or 20 properties, and I never asked for less than 10 because I felt like he was doing me this big favor of, of doing these like large rehabs for me. I didn't want to bargain over small amounts of money when I feel like he was key to my success. But another thing about this property management was. They didn't charge me for turnovers. Like turnovers are included in that 10%. There's no extra charge. Oh, wow, that's amazing. It, yeah. So 10% might seem high for 20 properties, but I did kind of, we do kind of have higher turnover than I would like. And it wasn't costing me extra money. Mm. Uh, now I have to stay on top of the vacancies, or I, you know, I did, or else he would let them drag out sometimes. But as long as I'm being like, hey, this thing's still vacant, like, when are you going to get somebody in? Then he'd be like, "Okay, you know, Rich is bugging me. I'll, I'll get it done." So that's hopefully that's valuable. But that's how I worked with my property manager,
0: Richard. There's just so much here. I mean, what you've done from distance is really unique. I feel like we could just keep going on here. I say that a lot in the show, but it's just a very interesting topic. And I feel like people struggle with property managers in their backyard, let alone five thousand miles away. So yeah. it's just cool to hear. Um, what's the best way for people to check you out or? learn about your content or get in touch with you
1: yeah, just go to just go to richonmoney.com uh, rich on money and uh, I've got a blog uh, if you're like thinking well that's kind of interesting with this guy's philosophy on things if you go to my re- website you'll read a lot more about that most of my blog posts have have a video so I, that takes you to my YouTube channel where I've, I've kind of been taking my content and putting it in video format and um, I don't know there's like I have a little like ebook you can sign up for conservative real estate investing. It's just a very, very, very long post that just talks about my philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's free. Just uh, go get it.
0: Okay, cool. Rich, appreciate you coming on, man. Very interesting, unique perspective. And uh, out-of-state investing or out-of-country investing is just such an interesting topic. So yeah, just want to say thank you for coming on, man. And uh, best of luck in 2021.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Jonathan. It was fun. Appreciate it. You got it.
0: Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or
1: email at Outlook.com.